0: Our passage this morning, if you have a copy of the Bible, it's in the book of Matthew, very easy to find in the first book in your New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, familiar verses I think to some, the words of Jesus in his great sermon on the mount. Matthew 5, we'll read verses 11 through 16, uncomfortable mission. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Uh, Because I think it's pretty obvious to all of us, whether you are a mature adult, you're a high school student, um, and that is that the world is falling apart, the world that we live in, right? Now, that's not new to any of us. I think anybody who's thinking about it would not, that would not be, that would not dawn on you as as a new idea. The world is falling apart, but... We, as living in the world, you and me and our neighbors and our friends and our family, uh, uh, we, uh, it's our problem too, right? The world is falling apart and so are we. I read in the papers just uh, maybe a week or so ago, I thought it was interesting, it was an interview with the, the, um, what some would say, America's most famous living writer, some of you have read his books, uh, Philip Roth, who has... Um, still alive and they were doing an interview with him and they asked him a couple questions about his life and said now that you're retired as a novelist do you ever miss writing or think about it? He's in his early 80s. He said no I don't. That's because the conditions that prompted me to stop writing seven years ago haven't changed. I've done my best work and anything more would be inferior. I'm no longer in possession of the mental vitality, or the verbal energy, or the physical fitness needed to mount and sustain a large creative attack of any duration on a complex structure as demanding as a novel. Every talent has its terms, its nature, its scope, its force. You cannot be fruitful forever. Question, looking back, how do you recall your 50 plus years as a writer? this is interesting exhilaration and groaning frustration and freedom inspiration and uncertainty abundance and emptiness blazing forth and muddling through and the silence 50 years in a room as silent as the bottom of a pool eking out when all went well my minimum daily allowance of usable prose now I don't know that I'd ever say it that well. (laughs) Most of us would not. I think that's how most people feel. I think that's how most of us feel, all the more as the older you get. Listen, the world is falling apart. Moses said this in the 90th Psalm, our best days are trouble." And sorrow But you know, that being the case And I think when, you, when Jesus is take talking about the world He's talking about the church When he says, be salt and be light There's an implication, right? If the, if the world wasn't corrupted Wasn't ever corrupting It wouldn't need the penetration of salt If the world wasn't dark It wouldn't need light It's telling you something It's telling us something About the nature of the world It is falling apart But because of that I think most people, Christians too, have two general approaches to the world, right? The world that you live in, the world that I live in. Think about this. Number one is sometimes, we're either optimists, some of us in the world, our friends, our neighbors, and with those who are optimists, we think, listen, yes, the world's full of all kinds of problems, but probably through, you know, through science, through, through good government, we can address the big problems in the world, like racism, you know, like poverty, like war, right? And we can do that. That's the optimist. Then there are the pessimists. And sadly, I've noticed a lot of Christians, ironically, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, are pessimists. We feel like the world is just a burning house and it can't be saved. I'm talking about really making a difference. So why bother? We have a city, our city, our city, not, you know, Timbuktu, not third world, right? Our city, where less than 50% of the kids graduate from high school. We're in the top five of, you know, teen pregnancy and on and on. Why bother? We have a refugee crisis that never seems to end. Why bother? We have friends and family, people in your own life, people in your own, you know, your own immediate family who who couldn't be less interested, you know, in the things of God. Why bother? But I would say this to you, and I think Jesus is saying it here. As Christians, we should not be optimists, that is, you know, thinking that, you know, that, that science, as great as it is, or good government is going to solve the problems. We shouldn't be optimists or pessimists, but we need to see the world, the world's hope, through the person and the promises of Jesus, right? Right? Think about it. It's not Jesus plus the Republican Party, right? It's not Jesus plus clean water. It's not Jesus plus your perfect life, right? Some of us think that. You know, I was, I was in uh, my house the other day, and I have a leather couch, you know, and one of those leather couches has these sewn-in, you know, big cushions, but has these big, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, crevices, and I just put my hand down in there because I was sitting there, and it was like, wow, what is that, you know? And I pulled it up and it was filled my palm and it was like, you know, a combination of Chex Mix and peanuts. There was a stamp in there, you know. A dog hair. I, th- I don't even have a dog, okay? Point, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not coming to your house ever, right? Here's my point. Many of us, back to Shelly uh, Tierson, the Tierson family, Listen, we won't invite people into our home or we won't invite people into our lives, even more important than our homes, because they're too messy. But let me tell you something. It's not about you. The world's hope is Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. It's the promise of Jesus. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Get over yourself. It's God's inexplicable. It doesn't make any sense. Out of nowhere love given to those who are open to it, those who are thirsty for it, those who are ready for it. And there are people like that in every um, person's life in this room if you're open to them, right? You don't have... Some of you can get on a plane, but you don't have to. Just like... The Tearsons did. Simple point is this. The world is falling apart. It's not new. But if we really want to be effective, right? If we really want to do what we're called to do, that's what this passage is. It's a vision of what the church is. We need to face up to it. We need to get our head out of the sandbox, off of the television, so to speak, if we really want to be of any good to the people around us. The world is falling apart. Second point to the heart of this message The church is a mission. That's what Jesus is saying. This is so important, especially for some of us who've been in the church for a long time. We forget what it is. You know, it's almost like the family. We forget what the family is. We forget what a marriage is. We forget what the job is, right? Whatever the case is. We, many of us have forgot what the church is. Do I find love and value and relationship in the church? Yes. Do I find encouragement in the church? Yes. Do I find challenge in the church? Yes. Do I find good friends in the church? I find a lot of those things, and I find the love and the presence of God. But the purpose of the church, it's a mission. It doesn't have a mission. It is a mission, And it's only as we uh, uh, face the truth about the world, right, we have to be honest about it. That's why Jesus says salt and light. He doesn't say ice cream and, you know, a sunshine. He says salt and light. It's only when we face the truth about the world that we can begin to understand the real work of the church. These twin images... Very familiar to us, but we need to, we need to freshly reimagine them. We need to ask ourselves, some of you have been in church so long you've heard this message a hundred times. They tell you the church's unique role in the world. But see, Jesus is so great because he's, he, he does what the best teachers do. He takes very simple concepts, right? And he gives them profound meaning, right? Salt and light, very simple concepts, but two things that Jesus is saying in this passage about the church, think about it. As you think about your involvement in the church, I think about my involvement in the church. As we think about what we're doing here today, as we think about the REACH Initiative, right? What do we hope to accomplish in, our, in, in the years that we have left uh, in, in, in Those it, it, as, as the current congregation of Browncroft Community Church? Church is two things. Number one, it's a sanctuary, to people in a dark and cold world, right? It's a city on a hill. It's a sanctuary. And two, it's a, it's a deployment center, okay? First, it's a sanctuary. It's a place where people can come and experience transformation, right? Something they're not going to experience anywhere else. They're not going to experience this in a political party. They're not going to experience this in the, in, in, you know, in the Sierra Club. They're not going to experience this on Facebook. It's something that they can experience nowhere else But in a collective group of people that God has chosen to throw his lot with, what God has told us to inhabit, this is my church and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm putting my presence, my name here. This is what God says, what Jesus said. It's what he's talking about here. It's a place where people can experience transformation. I was with my small group this past week and we were going over a message, um, which actually we were going over the sermon of two Sundays ago when that was called Uncomfortable Authority. If you were here in that message, it was about the importance of the Bible. And if you remember the passage, it goes something like this, you know, continue, Paul speaking to Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and now become convinced of, talking about the biblical truths, and one of the questions that we had on our, our small group pay, uh, uh, sheet, some of you might have had this, was you know, just sitting around with our group of 10 people in our small group saying, are there truths that you've known for a while, right, continue in what you've learned, but that you're becoming more convinced of, right? It's such a great question. You know, as a pastor, I get this all the time, and I talk to my pastor friends who do too, so I don't, I don't feel like I'm alone. But I can't tell you, this happens, you know, probably once a month. And people say, listen, Rob, I appreciate this, and but I appreciate that. And that was a decent sermon, okay. But we need more. You know, we how we need to go deeper. We need to take we need we need to we need deeper Bible study. And you know, I'm all about Bible study. But here's what this passage tells us. Some of us don't need more. We need to do more with what we have, right? More is not always more. Paul says, listen to Timothy, listen, I want you to continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because it's only when you become convinced of truth that it changes your life. And people who just know a lot but aren't changed in, in their heart, you know what they're called? Pharisees. They're very unattractive. So we were sitting in, my, in our group and we said, guys, it's kind of an interesting question is there any particular truth that you've known that you're more convinced of? And and, and one guy that's in our group, he's only been there for, new to the church, relatively speaking, and new to the group, and he was bold enough to start. And he said, I have one. We said, well, great, you know, because nobody wants to go first, right? And he said, the truth that I have known but been more convinced of is this, there is no more condemnation Um, he's quoting from Romans 8 if you know that passage there's no more condemnation um, in my relationship with God right and he said you know he's been a Christian for a while and, and he's heard the message, as you have, that God loves you, that he, he died for you, he provided forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and he loves you. But he said, you know, I still, for a very long time, still believed that as I sin, when I sin, and all have sinned, we're still sinners as Christians, that I still had this sense of condemnation, and it has dawned on me, I have become more convinced over time that uh, there is no condemnation. God no longer condemns me for anything in my life because of what Jesus Christ has done. That has become the center of my relationship with God. Guys, listen, that doesn't happen in uh, you know in the in, in 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 any other place than the church. It happens in this very imperfect organization with imperfect leaders and imperfect programs, but it's the place that God has chosen to inhabit, and it's called his church, right? We are a city on a hill, and in this sense, the church, Jesus, this is the, you know, this is the most famous passage you know, before years before Jesus dies and raises the it rises from the dead and, and launches the church in the Book of Acts, but this is the, the 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 very simple but profound vision of what the church is. It's right here, salt and light. And what Jesus is saying is that in one sense. The church is attractional. It's supposed to be attractional, right? It's a city on a hill. Now, I don't know if they actually built cities on hills, but many of you have had this experience. I know I've had it many times in my life. You know, when you're you're driving somewhere... You know, and you're, you know, especially if it's at night and, you know, you're just, you're going from one town to another. Maybe you're on the thruway forever or maybe you're on some country road forever. And you, you know, you haven't been there before and it's dark and it's dark and it's dark and it's dark. And And then all of a sudden around the corner or you're going down a, a hill or up a hill and then you see, right? Never been to this city before. You see all the city lights. You go, I'm, I'm there, right? That's what Jesus is saying. It it, it draws you in. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. That's what the church is. attracting people in. People choose to come here, not just this church, but they come here, not only Christians like you and me, but non-Christians, so that they can have an experience that they can't have anywhere else. I'm talking about outside of a church. In corporate worship... Not because I'm so great, not because we're so great, not because of this building, but because God has chosen to throw his lot with the church. That's where his presence is. And when people come together in ways that are beyond anything that we do, through what we do, people experience the transformative power. They begin to say, there is now no condemnation, right? That's the primary reason, guys for what we've called uh, the REACH Initiative and all the investment spending we're doing. This is why. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. We spent, you know this, uh, about $2.5 million refurbishing that building. Half pretty much of what we pledged about a year and a quarter ago. And you know what? Half of that pledge already came in. I mentioned that last week. Half of the money, two and a half million dollars. All the money we spent. We planned. We told you this last uh, fall that we wanted to spend the rest of that money, another two and a half million, to completely renovate this room, to renovate it, modernize it, increase its capacity by fifteen percent or so uh, in this room uh, for the rest of that money. But what we're telling you now is we want to do more. Right? We want to spend another. Two and a half million. Not just renovating this building, renovating these major connection spaces and doing something we haven't talked about before, but it's in this, the, the brochure that you got last week. We want to add, not a new building, that's in the future, we hope, in the back, but we want to add a modest expansion of the theater in C-Wing. So that by the time the leaves fall this year, should you say amen to this in this congregational meeting, we will have not just an auditorium that can increase our capacity, but we can do that with our families. Guys, this is what it's about. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. This is an opportunity for us to do that. The church is supposed to be a tractional second in this passage. It's a deployment center, right? Verse 16. In this same way, right, you come in and get transformed over the course of time, right? In this same way, let your light shine before others that you may see, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. Listen, Jesus lit you, if I can use that term, right, you you don't light yourself, you are the light of the world for only one reason, because Jesus lit you, he lit me but it's not for a closed fellowship. Jesus lit you so that you might, look at verse 16. Go, let your light shine before others. It's obviously people who don't have the light, wouldn't be the point. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not in this room. It's out in the highways and the byways and the classrooms and the offices where you live, where I live. Uh, where you and I work. That's what he's talking Look at one other passage with me. Ephesians chapter 5. Similar language. The church is a mission. Verse 8. Or excuse me, verse yeah, verse 8. Ephesians 5. Paul's saying this to this congregation. For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Live in as children of light see this is the question the question isn't are you the light of the world the question is are you living like it am I living like it live as children of light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them to that salt sometimes it's difficult it's challenging It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light, that's salt, becomes visible, now watch this, in light, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light, right? You're illuminated, Jesus lights you, you light the world. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil, right? Shelley Tearson, the Tearson family, she said, this isn't what we planned. I had this great idea years ago, maybe to open up a a home for unwed mothers, but I didn't think they were going to live in my house, right? But this this woman I met, or excuse me, this young teenager that I met, she wasn't going to be pregnant a year from now, right? She's pregnant now. She said we had willing hearts in an empty bedroom, right? Willing hearts in an empty bedroom. Here's, Here's the end of the message. What will you do, right? What will you do? What will I do? What will you do? Willing hearts in an empty bedroom. Willing hearts in four days as a site leader at Flower City Work Camp. It's easy. Some of you are doing it. Some of you can do it. Willing hearts. And how about reading with an inner city kid in one of the three schools that we partner with in the city of Rochester. Willing hearts in a few hours with the Father's Father's, um, Heart Mobile Soup Kitchen. Which some people in this room do, a couple hours a month, traveling with this van, or this truck in the neediest parts of the city, sharing the gospel and sharing something to eat. How about willing hearts and being a counselor? You don't need to be professional at, uh, at a pregnancy counselor, like Shelley did, like Amy Roders did, like other people do, with, with one of our two partners. How about doing that? And let me tell you something. What's interesting about that? Um, how it works, as I understand it, even even the tears in finding this uh, young girl. They don't. They, it's based on your neighborhood, right? If you live in Fairport, then you, you get a call of a girl or a, a, someone in need in Fairport. You live in Pittsburgh; it's for, it's a girl or a young person in Pittsburgh. You live in Penfield; it's a girl. You know that's that's what that's how it's that's what the church is about, right? You reach out. You open up your heart, you open up your home. Willing hearts? How about a how about a week's time in one of the seven mission trips, international mission trips, that we're taking this church's offering this year? So I've never done anything like that. Well, you can do it this year. Right? Willing hearts. Let me read this quote from the book that I I said was my inspiration for this series, Brent McCracken. Why is it easier for us, ask yourself this question, to go to the other side of the world than it is to go to, across the street to talk to our neighbors about Jesus? It's uncomfortable to share our faith with people in our immediate context because we have to continue to do life with them and it may get awkward if we bring up Jesus. Plus, it is sometimes easier to care for the soul of a foreigner we don't know than the proven heathen we do. But if we don't approach our day-to-day lives, neighborhoods, workplaces, and relationships through the lens of mission, we're doing it wrong. Mission isn't just something made possible by a passport and a seminary degree. It's a paradigm that should inform everything we do. What will you do? What will I do? Let me just challenge less kind of a closing challenge to commit to spending a half an hour in the next week okay a half an hour it's less than five minutes a day I think my math's pretty bad but okay half an hour less than five minutes a day asking God specifically what he might be calling you to do right see a lot of us we already know right Shelly had this on her heart for years and all of a sudden the phone rings right all of a sudden the opportunity walks right in front of you some of you know some of you don't but you willing are you open simply for five minutes for this week to simply say God okay how can I live out this passage this challenge let my light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How can I, Rob Catalani, how can you live that out this week? Right? Would you be willing to commit five minutes a day to pray? Or, like me, might you be willing to spend five minutes a day over the next week praying for a person or persons who are in your life maybe God has even put in your life, I think that's the case for me, who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus, who are in your life, in my case, I'd have say, have even expressed a level of interest, right? But am I willing to pray for them and to pray for God, how might you use me, right? I'll start by vacuuming my couch, okay, but it's not that difficult. <laughs> How might God use me? How might God use you? Amen? Stand with me if you would. Let me say a couple things before I send you out the door. I mean, I'll say more about this, but I I can say I've been here for 12, almost, I guess, almost 13 years. I know I don't look it, right? I'm I'm reverse aging but uh, honestly and truly, I have never been as excited about the future of Browncroft as I am today. And with it comes a level of, you know, um, uh, challenge for sure. But I, I'm, I am very excited about what God might do. I think a flower, this, this thing that Ryan talked about, is I think about um, even what, the, what we're in the middle of. But guys, we, we have to all get in the game not only in praying, in giving, in going, and in doing. But if we're willing, and listen, it's not about um, uh, uh, having an unmessy life, right? We all have a messy life. We all have, um, you know, crumbs in our couch, so to speak. That's not the point, right? But are you willing, right? You are the light of the world. Right? That's a weighty statement. We want to dismiss that. Listen, you can't dismiss it. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You and me, with the power of Christ, we are the answer to the darkness of the world. Right? That's the truth. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? Okay? What are we willing to do about it? And I hope... Um, that we're all willing to take a step um, forward in what God is calling us to do, to see people in this community, yes, in the world too, yes, in our city, FCO, yes, in our international partners, yes, but also right here, right? Uh, In these very pretty, uh, relatively, you know, uh, wonderful suburbs that we live in, okay? It's a veneer, and underneath that veneer are people, young and old students and professionals who, um, who are far from God and they need light and they need salt. If you are um, new, let me close by saying this, um, to uh, the church... Uh, we have just in this season, January, February, moved our Welcome Center, we want to welcome you to our Belong Center. It's just 10 feet over, 20 feet over. We'd love for you to come just straight back in this lobby, just greet you, give you some information, say hello to you. We want to welcome you uh, in our Belong Center. Our Connections team will be there. For the rest of you, I'm going to say this for four Sundays. Four Sundays, I mean today being number one Sunday, so three weeks and two days, we're going to be in this room and we're going to be saying, guys, this is it. Yes or no? On this, you know, what amounts to $5 million worth of work. Do You want to do it? Uh, do we want, to, we want to create a place? We want to be a city on a hill for another generation? We need, okay. But between that time, we want to do everything we can to inform you, engage you. And there's a number of opportunities. I, I left that brochure down there on the back of it. Grab it. We'll talk more about it for you to engage uh, digitally and in in person. But every Sunday, including this Sunday, say, I want to know more about what you're doing, whether it's these partnerships, whether it's the projects in our Welcome Center, renamed for a month or two, the uh, Reach Project Hub. You can go in there today. Some of the um, leaders, architect and or uh, construction leaders, uh, perhaps our executive pastor, people who know all the answers to your questions, Um, and you can engage it, we want you to do it, right? Between now and February 13th. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for every person in this room. And Lord, I just uh, pray that you would be with us. Help us, Lord, wherever you're calling us, whatever it means for me, for us, um, to be light, to be salt, uh, in a world that is um, corroding, in a world that is ever darkening morally and spiritually. Help us, Lord, um, to shine before others and help us to take a next step, whatever it is, Lord. Um, help us to do that and get and, 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 and take a step of faith uh, even this day, even this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.